0: I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel. Uh, we're going to be in the 6th chapter most of the uh, most of the evening. We're talking about the life of David, and we want to talk about one of the, the four main reasons that God had um, placed David as, uh, uh, in the position of king of Israel. And uh, tonight I want to talk to you about David bringing up the ark of the covenant into Jerusalem. But uh, before we uh, get into that, I think to, to do the... Uh, the message in the study justice this evening let's back up a few verses into chapter 5 and uh, tie on to some things that we talked about last week last week we talked about uh, david defeating the philistines and um, it tells us that um, uh, well let's just start reading in second samuel chapter 5 in verse 19 it says and david inquired of the lord saying shall i go up unto the philistines will thou deliver them into my hand and the lord said unto david go up for i will doubtless deliver the philistines into your hand And David came to a certain place, however you say that. And David smote them there. Now, please notice that phrase. And David smote them there and said, The Lord has broken forth upon mine enemies before me as the breach of waters. Therefore, he called the name of that place something else, however you say that. And there they left their images, and David and his men burned them. But the Philistines aren't done. They come back again, verse 22. The Philistines came up yet again and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim, same place and when david inquired of the lord please notice the same thing he he does the same thing in the second situation exactly the same circumstances he does the same thing he inquires of the lord when david inquired of the lord the lord said thou shalt not go up in other words there's a different plan this time same circumstances same people same valley but i want you to handle it in a different way this time thou shalt not go up but fetch a compass behind them that means encircle them march take a long time and march around behind them and come up over against, come upon them over against the mulberry bushes or trees. And let it be when thou hearest the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees. Many other translations say the sounds of, uh, of troops marching. The sound of a going is uh, the, the words themselves mean, mean footsteps. When you hear footsteps. When you hear literally uh, what we would imagine to be the angelic host in the tops of the trees. That's when you do something. When you hear uh, the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt bestir thyself. For notice this phrase, notice the difference in this in verse 20, uh, or verse, um, well, I'll get to it in a minute. For then shall the Lord go out before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. First time David said, shall I go? And the Lord said, yeah, go. And the Bible says David smote them. This time it says, do it a different way because I'll go out in front of you. And David did so as the Lord had commanded him and smote the Philistines from Geba until thou come to Gazer. Now I want to read to you there's a there's a, another account of this in Second Chronicles chapter fourteen, and in verse seventeen it says, same same situation, same uh, uh details, but it adds something. First Chronicles fourteen, seventeen it says, And the fame of David went out into all the lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. Now, the reason that I, this is going to have a, a direct bearing on the things that we talk about when David brings the ark up into uh, Jerusalem. And so I want to cover this just very, very briefly. And that is notice that the first time that God dealt with David about how to de, how to uh, defeat the Philistines. It's what David's used to. It's what he knows. He's a man of war. He's a military general. Very successful. You remember they first sang the songs, David sl- or Saul slain his thousand, but David slain his ten thousands. He's been a man of war for a long time, well over 15 years. And so when the Lord speaks to him, he inquires of the Lord, shall I go up? Will you deliver them into my hands? The Lord just simply says, yeah, go. And David smote them. But this time it says God told him to do a different thing. Now, what was the different thing that God told him to do? He told him to circle around behind them. Now, can I ask you a question? If God defeated from them from the front the first time, why go around behind them? But that's what the Lord said. He said, go around, fetch a compass behind them, march all the way around. Well, in order to get around behind them, they're going to have to go way out of the way so that they don't know that's where they are, or else it won't be a surprise attack. So they take a lot of time, a lot of effort, expend a lot of energy to go all the way around behind the Philistines. And then, when they get around behind the Philistines at a certain place where the mulberry trees are, God says, wait. Now, folks, can I suggest something to you? You judge this for yourself. But in my uh, experience, it's a whole lot easier to go than it is to wait. David's a military guy. He knows what you do when there's a fight. You fight. Only thing he's... Uh, is needful of is to find out Lord am I going to win this fight if you're with me if I'm in in the will of God then I'll win the fight am I going to win the fight yeah go and he wins this time however it's a different situation and it brings greater results because David the first time was instructed to do something the second time he was instructed to respond and folks that's the way the leading of the Lord is there's a lot of times that God will tell you what to do and then tell you to wait until the time to do it This is not just a matter of going out against the enemy. This is a matter of going out in the right manner in the right time. So he says, wait, I'll let you know what time it is or when the time has come. Now, if it was me, and I I dare say it's probably going to be the same for every one of us here. Once we get over by those mulberry trees, we're going to be listening for every sound you could possibly imagine. We hear a cricket chirp and we'll think, is that it? A bird flutters as he flies through the air. And we think, was that it? Waiting's a tough thing to do. But folks, timing, when it comes to the things of God, timing is everything. What if David had gone early? What if he had gone in something that he thought, mistakenly thought, was the sound of the, the footsteps in the trees? Wouldn't have worked. Notice God says, you wait until you hear the sounds of the footsteps, the marching in the trees, and then I'll go out before you. David goes early. He's on his own. And folks, I got to tell you, that's where it looks to me like a lot of Christians are in their lives. They're going. Similar thing happened at the Red Sea. God spoke to Moses. Moses spoke to the people to stand still, see the salvation of the Lord. Well, he did. That's what they did. They stood still. While the waters parted then the waters are parted and god says to moses now go forward Standing still is not the only thing there is Very often there's a wait time and then there's a time for action And you're going to have to be sensitive to the spirit of god You're going to have to inquire of the lord just like david did to be able to identify the difference between between the two Now with that in mind, let's go to the next thing that david does chapter six Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him up to Baali, I guess, of Judah, to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. Now, I'm going to turn back to some scripture in the Old Testament, or, or further back in the Old Testament, in Exodus, and remind you of some things about the ark. Exodus chapter 25, I believe it is. This is when God tells uh, Moses to make the ark and gives him some specific instruction. Uh, I'll start reading verse 17. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold. A beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on one end and the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall you make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. By the way, those are types of Jesus and redeemed man. Now, the mercy seat's a judgment seat until there's blood. The only thing that makes it a mercy seat is, is the blood, the sacrifice. Verse 20, And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one toward the other. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon, above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. Verse 22 is what I want you to see. This is what it's referencing, Second uh, Samuel chapter 6 and verse 1 and 2. This is what this is referencing. And there will I meet with thee. And I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all the things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. In other words, David knows something about this ark. David knows that this is the presence of God. He knows that that is the symbol of everything that God said he would do and meet with the people. That's why this is such an important element, one of the four main reasons, four uh, major things that David did as king. The third of the fourth is that he brought the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel. Now, there are uh, the, the history of the Ark of the Covenant is, is identified in Scripture. In the times of the judges, when... Um, uh, Israel disobeyed began to disobey God and, and so forth the ark was captured and it was taken uh, taken away and the first capture was uh, when the the people used it kind of like a magic emblem or talisman or good luck charm or something like that they tried to carry it into battle with them well it didn't do anything for them they had heard of the power of the ark of the covenant and the symbol of of uh, the presence of God and, and the, the great and awesome things that it had done for Israel and how it signified God's presence and God's power upon them. And so they thought, I mean, kind of Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark type stuff, whoever's got it, you know, is going to be ahead of the game because they've got God on their side. But that's not the way it works. God just mocked their, their inability to, to get any good from it and so forth. And so then the Philistines captured it. And the Philistines took it into their temple, set it next to their, their giant statue of Dagon, their God. And the next morning, Dagon was laying fire on his face next to the ark. Well, they didn't know what had happened, but they set Dagon back upright again. Next morning they came, and Dagon not only was flat on his face, but his arms and everything was broken off into pieces. And so they recognized, the Philistines recognized, that this ark is not a good thing to have. So the Philistines took it first to a certain place. Um, I'd mess up the name if I tried to say it. Anyway, they took it to a certain place, and the people there received it. It's still outside of Israel's territory. Still out, it's not in the hands of the Israelites. But the people there received it, and it, it, it didn't harm them for a period of time. But then they got to wondering what was inside and looked inside, and people died by the thousands. Finally, the Philistines figured out, we have got to send this thing away. So they put it on an ox cart, a new cart. And they just they watched from afar and watched where the oxen took this thing. And so it took it to a certain place, certain house. And stayed there for a little bit, and then finally it wound up in a grove, just in a stand of trees, in what's called a wood. Now let me read to you from uh, from First, uh, uh, I'm sorry, from Psalm 132. This is David speaking of his desire for the things of God, specifically his desire to bring the ark up into to, uh, back into Jerusalem. Psalm 132. I'll read the first six verses. Lord, remember David in all of his, his afflictions. How he swore unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord. A habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. He's talking about the ark. Verse 6 says where he founds it. He says, Lo, we heard of it at Ephrapta. If, 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 if maybe. I don't know. We found it in the fields of the wood at least I don't claim to know how to say this stuff we found it in the fields of the wood and he goes on and talks a little bit more about his desire now when we go back to chapter 6 of Second Samuel in verse 1 it says again David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel 30,000 and David arose with all the people that were with him from this place in Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims in other words David after the first thing he does after he's king is he captures Zion the holy mountain of God. Second thing is he defeats the Philistines, begins to expand the kingdom. The third thing he does after the great victories over the Philistines is he said, we've got to get the presence of God back among the people. Verse 3, And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab which was at Gibeah, Accompanying the ark of, the, of God and a heel went before the ark and David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even of harps and of psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And, it, and when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen shook it. The um, uh, first Chronicles account of this says the oxen stumbled. And so Uzzah just reaches out to hold steady the ark and and try to make sure it doesn't fall. And the anger of the Lord, verse 7, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah and he called the name of that place Perez Uzzah to this day, which means breach upon Uzzah. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto, unto him into the city of David. But David carried it aside into the house of Obadiah, the Giddite. Now, can ask you a question. It's the will of God for him to bring, it to, to bring the ark to Israel, to Jerusalem. No question about it. Why did God get mad at this thing? Why did somebody die in the process? Let me read to you. We just read from Exodus chapter 25 how that David knew that that was the presence of God. Let me read to you from Numbers chapter 4. Numbers chapter 4. We'll start reading in verse 4. This shall be the service of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation about or concerning the most holy things. In other words, Kohath was responsible for the holy things in the temple, the tabernacle, Moses' tabernacle in the wilderness. And when the camp sets forward, moves in other words, Aaron shall come and his sons, and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of the testimony with it, and shall put thereon the covering of badger skins, and shall spread it over a cloth, holy of blue, spread over it a cloth, holy of blue, and shall put the staves thereon. Now can I ask you a question? Where are the curtains? When David starts moving the ark, where are the curtains? Where are the skins and the blue, the scarlet, the, the blue cloth is supposed to cover it? Skip with me over to verse uh, 15. And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary as the camp is to be set forward, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it. That means carry. "But But that they should not touch any holy thing lest they die. These things are the burdens of the sons of Kohath and the tabernacle of the congregation. In there's another verse I want to read to you and I want to make sure I get it right. Well, we won't take time to look for it. I don't have it in my notes, so we won't take time to look for it. What's happened? What's happened is David's got the right idea, but he's doing it the wrong way. Now, if if you want to take a few moments and turn with me over to first chronicles chapter thirteen, here's the reason why we started in chapter five to talk about things regarding the Philistines last week. First Chronicles chapter thirteen. Start reading in verse one. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds, and then with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seemed good to you, And that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and the Levites which are in their cities and suburbs that they may gather themselves unto us. And let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired inquired not at it in the days of Saul. What that means is Saul had no interest in finding the ark or bringing it back to Israel. When Saul was made king, couldn't care less. He had Samuel to look to, to to find out and inquire the Lord for him. He didn't care anything about the the heritage or the history of Israel and the Ark of the Covenant the role it played. But David does. David cares about it. And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shihor of Egypt, even unto the entering of Hemath, to bring the Ark of God from Kirjath-Jerim. Nailed that one, didn't I? And David went up to Israel to some place, that is, to the other place, which belongeth to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of God, the Lord that dwelleth between the cherubims whose name is called on it. Do you see any contrast here? Do you see any difference between what he did with the Philistines and what he did with the ark? When he came to the Philistines, he asked the Lord twice. He inquired of the Lord twice. Should I go? First time the Lord said, yeah, go. I'll deliver them into your hand. He did. Just attacked. Just attacked. And won the battle second time the Lord said no don't go circle around behind him and wait for the sound of the marching in the trees. This time what does he do notice verse 1 again and David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. What in the world is he talking to the people about this for is he gone from inquiring of the Lord to trying to get direction from the crowd Folks, the crowd will lead you in the wrong way. Exodus chapter 23 verse 2 says, Thou shalt not follow multitudes into sin. In other words, it doesn't matter if a million people are going into sin. Don't follow them. Stick with, the, uh, the, the, with obeying the word. Stick with what God told you to do. Now here's the question. Why does David not know that the Ark of the Covenant is not supposed to be carried on carts? How is it supposed to be carried? It's supposed to be carried by priests because the Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. God doesn't ride on a cart. His intent is to dwell within and among men. Where did they get the idea to carry it on a cart? From the Philistines. That's how the Philistines got rid of it. They put it on a new cart. So when David consulted with the people, somebody is giving him some advice and they come up with the idea, let's put this thing on a cart and carry it up to Jerusalem. That was never the way that God instructed for it to be done. Now folks, here's what this represents. You can have the right intent. You can have the purest of heart. You can even do the things, that the, you can even operate or have the, well, let me say it this way. You can either want what, even want what God wants, but you can't do it your way and expect to get God's blessing. Now we can stay here till next week talking about examples of this. The Bible says worship God for his greatness. Well, yeah, but we, you know, nowadays people are more inclined to worship God and sing songs about what they feel. We'll call that worship. You don't get the same blessing of God. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, preach the word. Well, you know, we don't want to offend anybody. So we'll talk about current events and things that are, that are of interest to people you know, in a wide variety of areas and subjects. Folks, there's all kinds of things that are going on in the church that are even sincerely attempted because of people's right heart and right desire for the will of God to be done. But under no circumstances can you bypass the word and do it your way and get God's blessing. And this is an example... In the extreme, there is nothing that God wants more than for the Ark of the Covenant to have a prominent place with David, the king that's after his own heart. But he can't do it his own way. And David sure doesn't know what's going on. Now, why hadn't David searched us the scripture? Why isn't he as familiar with how to move the Ark? I mean, if you want to move the Ark... You certainly know enough about Israel's history to know that they moved the ark from place to place when the the Israelites moved their camp. Why did he not find out? It's in the books of Moses, those were readily available. He's got a priest. Abinadab's the priest. He could have helped him. Folks, so many times people are praying, doing the same thing. They're praying, and they're praying for what God wants to happen in their lives. they're trying to bypass the Word of God to get there. I see it almost every week in healing school. Somebody from the outside will come up after the message, and it doesn't matter what you preach on, it doesn't matter what you're teaching people to believe, and and, and what what you show from the Word about how to receive healing, it doesn't matter. It's almost like people are waiting for you to finish so they can come get you to pray. And time after time after time, almost every week, somebody will come up, and they'll ask me to pray and I'll ask them the same question I've only got one answer what does the word say sometimes they know sometimes they don't but whether they know or not it doesn't matter they want me to pray and in effect what they're asking me is ask God to violate his word because the word of God says he sent his word and healed them I don't want to have to fool with the word. I don't want to have to try to believe anything. I don't want to have to have any responsibility in this in and of myself. I just want you to pray that God will do something. And that's tantamount to saying God violates your word and answer it the way I want it to be. It never works. People pray for healing and die that way. And then, of course, they get mad at people that preach healing. Because it's our fault our fault they didn't get something you can't violate what god's word says and the way the bible says to do things and expect to get god's blessing same thing's true where prosperity is concerned i've seen it from since i was in bible school people violate the principles of finances and they expect god's going to prosper them it just doesn't work that way but i know you think you that you've got the answer so you just keep on about your process and your plan Maybe somewhere down the road you'll see that it doesn't work that way too. And, it, it, and, and it'd be great if you could help people. It'd be great if you could talk them into the power of the word and the, the ability that each one of us have to put the word to work in our lives and get results. But it all comes back to the same thing. People want to do it their own way. Post God is not Burger King. It is not have it your own way. let's back up again to chapter 6 and verse 8 this is after Uzzah dies for reaching out and touching the ark and David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah and he called the name of that place Perez Uzzah which means the breach of Uzzah until this day what is David displeased about he's mad that his plan didn't work He's not mad that it was his responsibility to find out how this thing was supposed to work and he could have saved this guy's life. He's mad because his pride's been damaged. He's mad because things didn't work out the way he wanted them to work. And that's always the way it works. That's always what happens when people don't get the results they want because they won't act on the Word or won't act on God's instructions. It's always the way it is. They get mad. Who are they mad at? Well, they're mad at God. David's not displeased with himself. He's mad at God. Now notice the difference between verse uh, 1 Samuel chapter 5 verse 20 and 1 Samuel chapter 6 verse 8. In verse 20 where God gave him the victory over the Philistines, David smote them and said, The Lord has broken forth upon my enemies before me as the breach of waters. Therefore he called the name of that place the breach of waters or valley of breaking forth. 2 uh, Samuel chapter 6, verse 8, David's upset because the Lord made a breach upon Uzzah, and so he calls the name of that place Breach Upon Uzzah. Notice the difference. When he inquires of the Lord, God breaks forth on his enemies. When he does it his way, things of God break forth on one of his helpers. Verse 9, and David was afraid of the Lord. Can I ask you a question? where's faith involved in this? David's not operating in faith. David's operating on what he thought was a good idea. And the reason he doesn't have any faith in operation here to start with is because he didn't inquire of the Lord to begin with. He just assumed. Well, of course, this is what God would want me to do. I've had this in my heart forever. Folks, there's a lot of people that live and die with things in their heart. Because it's not just a matter of what's in your heart that's going to be the result. It's a matter of finding the plan of God and operating according to that plan. Thank you for your enthusiastic support. So now David's afraid of the Lord. He never was in faith to begin with. He's certainly not in faith now. And he doesn't want to take another chance. He did not want to be the one to touch the ark. He didn't know what to do. So David's afraid of the Lord that day and said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? Notice he's not inquiring of the Lord how to to bring the ark up. He just says, oh, how am I going to make this work? Poor David. His plans aren't working out. Now, folks, please understand this is God's champion. This is God's king, the man that's after God's own heart. Why aren't things working out for him? It seems like God would be so pleased with him for what he's done right up to this point that he'd just make things work. But that's not how it works. God would have to violate his character and his word to just make things work out because he likes us. That's why he gave us his word as a pattern so that we would understand how to make things work, how to receive the blessings that God wants us to have. God wants wants the ark in Jerusalem more than David does. But he can't violate his own word. He can't deny himself. He has to hold true to that which he said that this is how it's done. Are you out there? Uh, In my opinion, this is the greatest spiritual lesson to learn from David's life. It's a lot of great things. A lot of great characteristics to emulate and so forth. this is the best spiritual, the greatest spiritual lesson to learn from David's life, in my opinion. You learn this one, a lot of the other stuff will fall into place. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David. Man, if this thing is a, is a, a killer, I don't want it around me. It's only a killer when he's disobeying God's word. So he wouldn't remove the ark of the Lord in, uh, unto him into the city of David. But David carried it aside into the house of Obadiah. The Gittite. Do you know who Gittites are? The Philistines. So David says, I don't know what to do with this. I'll leave it with the Philistines here. Now, Obed means servant. Apparently, this guy is a follower of God because once they finally do figure it out and get the thing in Jerusalem, Obedim and his family come with it. So apparently, this is somebody whose heart's right. So he leaves it in this guy's house. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obadiah the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obadiah and all of his household. Now, Obadiah is a type of the Gentiles. The ark breaking forth on the Jews or breaking forth on Uzzah is a type of the Jews rejecting Jesus, the presence of God. Jesus is the ark of God made flesh, the presence of God that came to indwell man. And when the Jews couldn't figure out, Jews represented by David, when they couldn't figure out how to make this work and how to get it to where God wanted it to be all the time, he left it in the hands of a Gentile. And it blessed the Gentiles. Why? Obadiah didn't do anything to violate God's plan on it. He just willingly said, Yeah, you can keep it here. Sure, I'll take it. It's the presence of God after all. Who should say no to that? Can you see how he represents the Gentiles? So the Lord blessed Obadiah and all of his household after three months. And it was told King David saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obadiah and all that pertaineth unto him because the ark of God. Folks, I want you to know something. When God's presence brings a blessing into your life, word gets out. It's clearly seen and word gets out. I love the scripture in Acts where it says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. This idea that we just have to talk about what God can do instead of having any proof and evidence, that's not the way God intended. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the city of David, uh, from the house of Obadiah, unto the city of David with gladness. Now I'm going to go back over to First uh, Chronicles and read some over there because it gives some more details. Let me get over there real quick. First Chronicles, I think it's chapter fifteen. Yeah, First Chronicles chapter fifteen. Here's where David goes back to get it. Starting in verse one, here's what uh, uh, what happens. David has prepared. In the meantime, David has prepared a tent in uh, in uh, Jerusalem somewhere to put the ark when he brings it. Because remember, there's no temple. No temple is built until his son Solomon comes along and completes the work. So what are they going to do if they do get the ark to Jerusalem? Well, they reconstruct something along the lines of the the tabernacle of the wilderness like Joshua had. So David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched it for a tent. Uh, Verse 12. David said, well, verse 11, David called for Zadok and Abathar, the priests, and for the Levites, and for Uriel, and Isaiah and Joel, Shimia and Eliel, and Amenadab. Uh, that's why I don't read much Old Testament stuff. Folks. And said unto them, you are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place that I've prepared for it. Somehow David has figured out that God gave instruction for how to do this. It's been three months. We don't have any record of what he did. We don't have any record where David said, man, I messed up the first time, but I've searched the scriptures and found out where I made my mistake. In fact, it almost, King James makes it look like David's blaming them. Verse 13, for because that you did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us for that we sought him not after the due order. He's figured out what he did. We didn't inquire of the Lord. We didn't get God's plan on it. We didn't realize that there was a specific and speci- a special way for this thing to move. And so that's what caused our problems. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, God of Israel, and the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon as Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. Back to Second Samuel chapter 6. Verse 13, And it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, six steps, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. In other words, David is so happy that at the beginning of this thing, he doesn't even let them go but six steps and they stop and make a sacrifice. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. Now, linen ephod is just a a, a white, clean piece of cloth. It's not anything fancy. It doesn't have any embroidery on it. He's taken off his kingly kingly garments and robes and all that kind of stuff. He's out there like a common man. He's dressed like a priest that was commanded to, the way the priest was commanded to dress to, to move the ark. He's not trying to usurp anybody's position. He's just out there not as the king. He's out there as somebody that cares about the presence of the Lord. Certainly, he's in charge. His word goes in whatever they tell, he, whatever is commanded to be done, but that's not the, the manner in which he's out there. He's out there as the common man worshiping God. Now, here where it says, David danced before the Lord with all of his might, Ever so often you'll hear people talk about that as being a type of dancing in the spirit. It's not. David danced before the Lord with all of his might. You'll see things in church. And and here again, it's people with the right idea, the right heart. They're trying to get the presence of God in their services and so forth. But they'll come out with all this dancing with with, uh, banners and, and all that kind of stuff. There's nowhere in the New Testament that the Bible commands the church to act like Israel. Ever. Nowhere are we commanded to go back to the worship of Israel got people that are blowing ram's horns in church services and stuff like that trying to get back to the the way that it used to be well when when people were spiritually dead we we really want that again the bible said david danced before the lord with all of his might in other words he decided to dance the example of this is when you're standing in faith and you worship the lord give him offer him a sacrifice of thanksgiving a sacrifice of praise looking for the promise of god to be realized This is not an example of dancing in the Spirit. Folks, when the Spirit of God comes on somebody to dance, certainly they have to yield to it, but it's not something they're trying to do. So David danced before the Lord with all of his might. Verse 15, So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came unto the city of David... Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Now, folks, I want you to realize something. As we read in First Chronicles chapter 13 a minute ago, nowhere was there any interest in all the days of Saul. And Saul ruled over Israel for 30 years. Nowhere during the days of Saul was there any interest in the ark whatsoever. No interest, in, no interest in, on Saul's part for Jewish history history of the jews for the things of god i mean these are can you imagine the ark of the covenant is out there in some in enemy hands and you don't care about it what does a guy like that doing being king anyway wouldn't seem to fit would it but remember saul is a type the fallen man and fallen man usually doesn't care about the presence of god a lot of Christians haven't learned to overcome the residue of their fallen flesh. They haven't renewed their minds to the word and began to live according to the, and walk in the righteousness of God that they've been made. And so there's no, not much interest on their part for the presence of God either. I hate to say it, but there's a lot of people that are in ministry that are in the same way. They're doing their thing. I'm sure they're trying to do good and trying to help people that doesn't mean somebody has a heart for the things of God these are things we need to judge these are things we need to be aware of and since Saul had no interest in the things of God clearly because of the lack of action that he took toward the ark we can't expect his children to have any either now Michael loved Saul or loved David David loved her but when she saw David acting in a way that she thought was unbecoming to his station in life, his position, it changed everything about what she felt toward him. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in his place. That's the tent that David has prepared for him in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. I'm going to interrupt it right here and turn over to Psalm. 24 because this is the psalm of thanksgiving Uh, first chronicles also tells us what david uh, another psalm that david sang but psalm 24 is recognized by everybody as the one that he sang when he brought the ark up into jerusalem the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof the world and they that dwell therein for he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the floods who shall ascend into the hill of the lord or who shall stand in his holy place Now, this is, uh, most Bible scholars will talk, will reference this as being the people that tried to look in the ark and died. And Uzzah, who tried to touch the ark and steady it and died. Because the wording from the Hebrew is, who can stand in the awesomeness of God's power? Well, the answer is verse 4, he that has clean hands and a pure heart. Who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity and nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Now this is also a reference to him coming into the gates of Jerusalem, through the gates of Jerusalem with the ark. And notice what he says in verse 7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. In other words, he's saying the walls aren't high enough. For something this wonderful. The gates are not big enough for something of this magnitude. It's a psalm of praise. Who is this King of Glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of Glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of Glory. Back to Second Samuel chapter six. And as soon as David, verse 18, had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Now, this is an official duty. This is mentioned only a couple of other times. One place in uh, Moses did it, one place where Joshua did it, and another place where um, um, Samuel the prophet did it. But, but but outside of that, it doesn't speak of anybody blessing the people of God. The reason for that is because God's blessing was already upon them. So it's somebody that's in a, a high or official position and this was an official act of David as the king. As soon as David had made an end of the burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dealt among the people, among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well as the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. In other words, he created a feast for everybody because of their willingness to participate in the bringing of the presence of God back into the city. It's a type of salvation. It's a type of the feast that we have because now the presence of God dwells within us forever. So David returned to bless his household. He didn't leave his own house out. He returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today. Can't you hear it drip off of her voice? how glorious was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as of one of the vain or common fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said unto Michael, it was before the Lord which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. And I will yet be more vile than this. You ain't seen nothing yet. Now, notice what David's saying. He's not saying, and remember, we read verse after verse after verse how David dealt wisely among the people and increased in favor and strength. Over and over again, it tells us that how wisely David dealt with the people and the things that he did and how it endeared the people to him and so forth. We're not talking about somebody that's been foolish. We're talking about somebody that was willing to set aside what, what his wife thought was the dignity of his office. To rejoice before the Lord. Notice something else about this. David didn't let his relationship with his wife. Dampen his willingness to to serve God. I know a lot of people that are turned away. Because of their family. And what their family thinks. And especially those of us that believe in speaking in tongues. Family members find out you're going to one of those tongue talking churches. Oh my goodness. What are they going to say about us? I don't know what they're going to say about you, but they're going to say about me that I worship God. So David says, you haven't seen anything yet. If you're worried about how I look, buckle up. And I will yet be more vile than this and will be base in my own sight. In other words, I don't consider what I did today to be much at all, but I'll get there. But notice this. He said, but of the handmaids which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. In other words, David was smart enough to realize that just because his wife was trying to discourage him and uh, for stepping out of the dignity of his office or what she perceived that to be, he said, the people will recognize it and love me for it. Folks, you need to realize that about speaking in tongues. The people that'll think bad about you because you go to a tongue-talking church or whatever the terminology they want to give to it, the common people, the people that are really your friends, they'll love you for it because they want to serve God too. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child until the day of her death. Now, it doesn't say God did anything to her. But she certainly removed herself from the place of blessing. So many things we could say about this. But again, like I told you earlier, in my opinion, you judge it for yourself or you decide for yourself. In my opinion, this is the greatest lesson, spiritual lesson to learn from the life of David. David got to the place where he learned the importance of inquire of the Lord, to ask God for his direction and his blessing on the things that he did. One of the greatest mistakes that he made was when, or really almost every mistake David made was when he took things upon himself instead of going to God for direction. This one cost a man's life. Even though he was doing what God wanted him to do. Because it's not enough just to do the right thing. You've got to do it according to God's word. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the privilege that we have to be doers thereof. Lord, we commit ourselves to serve you, to worship you, to seek your presence and seek your direction. We thank you, Father, that we are led of the spirit of God because he indwells us. We thank you that the Holy Ghost orders our steps. But, Father, we'll never take for granted that because the Spirit of God dwells within us, we always know what to do. But instead, in every situation, we'll be sensitive to find out your plan and your manner of walking in victory. Thank you, Lord, that because we are children of God, we know the voice of Jesus. And a stranger we will not follow, for we know not his voice. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.